Hello, and welcome to Chasing Shadows. I'm your host, Elizabeth, and uh, welcome to the show. I know if some of you have been waiting for this, I apologize. I've had some technical difficulties over the past couple of days, so I'm finally getting this out to you. What I want to talk about today is um, something that may save a person's life. Um, recently, there has been a um, surge in talking about uh, the sex trade, sex slaves. Uh, I want to share a personal experience with you that happened to me back in the 80s. Um, so we're going to get into that. I'm also going to talk about some of the ghosts and hauntings that I've witnessed when I lived in England. And um, so we're going to talk about a wide range of things today. First off, I'd like to thank you guys for joining in and, um, you know, being here with me. Uh, I'm still learning uh, the podcast, so bear with me. Uh, I'm still trying to tweak a few things, get a few things done. So um, I do <laughs> apologize if at some points in time they do seem to kind of uh, ramble on. I'm trying really hard not to do that. The way I do my podcast, though, is I just kind of shoot from the hip. I don't have a set script. Uh, I'm trying to stay away from that. And here's why. Because I want things to be real. I want you guys to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, feel, I want you to feel the energy of the really raw talk. I don't want to have a script to where I follow a, a set course. Um, I like to kind of talk in the round. It gives people an opportunity maybe to um, think about what I'm actually saying. Um, <coughs> excuse me, I have a really bad cough um, here lately, so I do apologize, uh, but the show must go on. I'd like to thank uh, CastBox for uh, allowing people like me and um, other people out there to do podcasts, to get podcasts out there, uh, to talk about relative uh, and informational subjects. This has been a lifelong dream of mine to be able to do this. Um, I'd like to thank all those people that have supported me in the past. And I would also like to thank to do podcast. Um, I'd like to do shout out to Darkness Dave uh, from uh, uh, his podcast. And I just really, he's inspired me in so many ways. Uh, and I, I hope that. I can bring some good quality shows to you like Darkness Dave does um, on Darkness Radio. Um, I have a lot of other friends that have done podcasts in the past. And uh, I'm really trying to, to step it up a little bit to make things a little bit more exciting for you guys. I could talk all day about tarot cards. I could talk all day about psychic energy. But I really want to bring some social... Uh, awareness to my podcast and I want to share my experiences with you because I truly believe that uh, a lot of my experiences could could save your life 
could save somebody else's life that you know, could help you avoid some of the pitfalls that is, that's in the world at this point in time. Um, I don't readily share this information, but the universe has been moving me to share <coughs> excuse me, this story with you. So I think it's relevant now. This happened to me back in the 80s. And just to give you some background, um, I, I, it's funny when I do readings for people, uh, they ask me, well, how long have you been a psychic and a medium? Well, I've been a psychic and a medium all my life. I was born with this gift. Um, I really, at first, um, I really at first shunned this. Um, I wasn't really sure how I wanted to do my life. You know, when you're young, and especially living in the South, um, you know, my mother always told me, you know, you, you can't, you can't just say to somebody, uh, well, I see your dead husband or I see your um, sister or brother standing next to a coffin. You can't, she's like, you can't say that. You have to be very careful in your delivery. So for the longest time, especially growing up, I wasn't really disciplined anyway. So I didn't feel like I could um, really contribute anything to society. As I started getting older and I started coming into my own, I um, started realizing more and more that I needed to embrace my gifts to not just help me, but to help other people. Um, I've never been one, for those that, that have known me for years, I'm not one, I'm not flamboyant, I'm not like um, some of the mediums on TV. It's, that's just not me. I can't, I'm not walking up to people at a supermarket or, um, you know, uh, I'm not just blurting out stuff. I approach people very cautiously. Um one, because sometimes it's a very tender subject with people, you know, especially if they've lost somebody that they loved greatly, and you need to, I feel like you need to approach someone very carefully, you know, because maybe they don't want to hear messages from the other side, or maybe they just have put it out of their mind and they've moved on, so I have to try to quote, and pardon the pun, read people, um... But if I'm compelled to give a message, then then I do. And um, if I'm compelled to, and I'm just going to interject here real quick. Still having some technical difficulties. So if the podcast breaks, or am I talking and it breaks, for whatever reason, it's intermittently stopping. So I do apologize for it. Please um, be patient, uh, but I wanted to get this message out. There's been some, there's been so many things that have been preventing me from getting this message out. I can, I kid you not. But um, back to what I was saying. There's, I'm just not that type of person that will throw myself at somebody and say, "Oh, so and so, cousin Louie is telling me to tell you." But if I get a strong message or strong urge to talk to the the person that the message is for, I, I usually take them aside and I say, you know, I don't know if you're hip to this, you know, but I'm getting a message from so-and-so, 
do you want to hear the message? Uh, oftentimes people do. They are in a place where they really need to hear the message from the loved one. And um, that's the way I work. That's the way I roll. I've been offered uh, TV shows. I've been offered to be on ghost hunting shows. Uh, I'm a very avid ghost hunter. Um, my friends, uh, you may know them as the Ghost Adventurers crew. Uh, Zach and Aaron and Billy and Jay. Um, you know, those, those guys are golden to me because uh, what they're doing, sometimes what they do is crazy. <laughs> uh, but they are pioneers and they have made a lot of strides in the paranormal community. Um, I am a demonologist. Uh, that kind of fell into my lap, um, as most things have in my life. Um, some weird, and that'll be a, another show, the weird paranormal, supernatural things that have occurred in my life. Um, just some weird, weird um, uh, things going on in my life. So, um, one of those weird happenings is what we're going to talk about today. Um, I have had a, a good life, um, for the most part. I, I think anybody could really say that. A really excellent childhood. Um, from an early age, I knew that I was different than other children. Uh, but my mother uh, and my father taught me, you know, you're, you're beautiful the way you are. You know, you're going to do good things in life. Um, you know, when I got to the high school level, um, because of, and I'm by no means, I'm not trying to toot, um, you know, my intellect or anything like that. I'm very humble for people that know me. Um, I've always had a high IQ. Um, I was tested at an early age and uh, my IQ level is around 160 range. Because of that, it does make, sometimes it's, it is very hard um, to relate to people because it, it automatically puts you in a different echelon. Uh, but when I started high school, there was a new program starting at the local university. And uh, it was open to certain people. And I happened to get a letter um, I was actually quite shocked, um, but the local university was starting a new program where uh, every summer, at the university's expense, you could go to a university in Europe of your choice, and you could begin to study your passions that you would have when you got out of high school. So uh, it was a rare opportunity there was about 10 people at the university I went to that were able to do this. So uh, my interest at the time was art and architecture and uh, architectural engineering. And so uh, I decided to go to London, England. And this was a big thing for me. Uh, you know, when you're a young person, uh, especially a teenager, you're thinking, wow, you know, I get to go to another country, and I get to go 
experience all these things that normally most people would never get to experience in their entire life. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunities that I've been given in life. I'm thankful for this opportunity, even though what happened to me, um, it, it really shaped part of who I am today. And you'll understand why when you uh, hear what I'm about to say. Um, you know, young woman uh, in a new country, I've never been there before, was excited about it. You know, you have these stars in your eyes and you, and you want to have fun, but you know that you have to work really hard because the courses that I took were only during the summer. So the agreement was I could go over in the summer and do these, these intensive courses and then I would come back before school started in the fall in America. And I did this uh, throughout my high school year or years in high school. Um, so actually I was earning a degree, a college degree, at the same time that I was going to high school. And of course a lot of people are probably going, why, why didn't you just go to, to, to college since you have a high IQ? Why didn't you just ergo the high school years? Well, my mom wanted me to have that experience. Um, and I'm very thankful that she stuck to her guns and said, no, you know, you need the social experience of high school to appreciate later in life, you know, things that you, you will learn. So I'm glad that she did that. And, you know, I, I'm glad I was able to go to high school and just to be, to me, normal. Um, you know, I didn't shine out any more than anybody else in high school. I did the typical um, sports. I was in your typical uh, after-school clubs. I um, just was a, t a typical teenager um, with a bright future, looking ahead, having fun with my friends, hanging out, just normal suburban experience as a, as a young adult. So going over to England, um, you know, I went over there. I had a dorm that I stayed in. I had friends that I uh, that were in the dorm with me. There was me and four other girls. So there was a total of us five girls in this dorm, which was really nice, by the way. Uh, and this was in the heart of London, England. Now, you know, London is, is full of history. Um, and again, I can do a lot of shows for just about talking about the ghost of London and, and all of that. Um, and I may do a future show for that. But, uh, you know, stars in my eyes. I was excited. Here I am in London, England. I'm having the time of my life. I have no parental supervision here. Um, and this is the thing. Uh, I was left to my own vices. And my mother, you know, felt like that was something that needed to be done. It would create maturity for me. It would give me a sense of um, independence. And, uh, of course, you know, you get the lectures of you need to behave, don't get arrested, um, do your work, uh, shine, and then come back home. Um, but I was left to my own vices. And, um, 
you know, the university I went to, and, and here's something that I'm going to say. Uh, I'm not going to mention the names of these universities that I went to or the names of the people, and here's why. Because once I tell you the story, you'll understand why. Um, and another thing, litigation. Um, I want to try to avoid that at all costs. But I'm protecting the people that were involved. I'm protecting... Um, uh, well, it's just a situation, and once I tell you, you'll see why. Um, and I know you're saying, just, just get to the get to the gist of it, and I'm getting to it. <coughs> um, being in the university that I was in in London, um, I two of the girls that lived in my uh, dorm or in my room with me, uh, their dads were in <coughs> Parliament. And uh, then uh, a lot of the people that went to the university that I went to, um, their dads were barristers. That's um, lawyers, if you don't know that. Um, very high up officials. Uh, this was this was an elite university, uh, and and it still is an elite university. Um, so you know, I mingled with the movers and shakers. The 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 kids of the movers and the shakers in London in and around that time. And, um, you know, this was so new to me. And there was different protocols. You know, they did things differently over there. Um, you couldn't say certain things to certain people. It was very odd to me. But I played along, you know, because I wanted to, to go to university. I wanted to make my mother and father proud of me. And I really wanted this program to work because uh, it was kind of at the forefront, and I wanted other people in the future to be able to have the same experiences that I was going to have. Um, so as time went on, you know, studies were good. I was going back and forth, um, you know, every summer. And uh, one summer... Uh, changed my views about the world and changed uh, how I l began to look at people. Um, so one summer, and there was a lot of parties uh, at this, and maybe parties is not the correct word to use. Maybe there was a lot of um, events, like for charity. There were a lot of events that were sponsored by the royal family because if you live in London, England, or if you've been to London, England, just about everything that is done has some form or another uh, a connection with the royal family. And I want to say this right now. I'm not putting the royal family in, in bad light. They're actually cousins of mine. <laughs> um, I'm not by any means putting them in a bad light. And I want everybody to understand that. Uh, but if you've ever been over to London, England, or to England, or to Scotland or Ireland, uh, most of the charity events are sponsored by the royal family or the royal trust or somebody in the royal family. Um, so I went to a lot of events. I, um, you know, I mingled with the cream of London society. And here I am, young and impressionable, 
mesmerized to be able to be brushing shoulders with these people. Uh, I learned a lot about how to act in a um, social environment like that of high caliber. So I did learn a lot, but this one summer, uh, a girl that I roomed with, her father was in uh, Parliament, and uh, she said, you know, there's going to be a nice party outside of London, um, and my dad invited me and said that I could bring a friend along. Would you like to come? And I was like, well, you know, how far is it outside of London? I don't really want to... And see, I had a car there, so I could drive. Um, and she's like, well, you're not going to have to drive. The limo's going to come pick us up. And I said, well, what kind of dress is it? And she said, well, it's formal. You know, I was like, oh, okay. Um, so, long story short of that part, I agreed to go. And um, she says, well, the limo, limo's going to come pick us up, so you don't have to drive. And I said, well, hmm. I don't know, you know, what if we get there and it kind of sucks and, you know, we just want to leave whenever we want to leave. And she said, well, we can leave whenever we want to leave. The limo driver will, um, you know, be there so we can leave whenever we want. And, you know, here's where intuition comes into play. And this is where I was beginning to start to really come into my psychic abilities and my gifts and... You know, I tell everybody, you know, if you have this little pull in your, in the middle of your stomach, the, the little solar plexus area, if you're familiar with chakras, uh, if you get that pull, it's your intuition telling you, you know, you may not, you may not want to do this. There's something not on the up and up. Uh, but here, you know, young impressionable stars in my eyes. Oh, sure, it's a party. Free drinks, you know. Who wouldn't want to to go mix and mingle with royalty and high society? So I thought, well, okay, sure, I'm not doing anything. Um, and I said, but, you know, we can't stay all night. We're, we're going to have to come back, you know, because I had a major exam that next week that I really, really needed to study for. Um, so she said, okay, yeah, no problem. You know, we're just going to go out there for maybe an hour, two hours, and we're going to come back, you know, that's fine, I said, okay, so, um, you know, we get there, and uh, it, was, it was quite a long drive, I mean, we were quite a ways outside of, of, of London proper, um, and, I, and I'll tell you, the London, or the British countryside is, is very beautiful, um, very mysterious, uh, and with me being a psychic, of course, I was picking up ley line energy. I was picking up all sorts of weird energy. So I was totally being bombarded by all of this, like, supernatural stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, I was trying to process all that. And I was trying to take all the countryside in and everything. Um, but I did, and I will tell you this, I'm very glad that I did do this. And I... And I want everybody to always, especially the young women that maybe are listening to this show, or women in general, uh, I left a note 
at the uh, dorm to my other friend saying where we were going. And I said, you know, if we're not back by 8 a.m. tomorrow, then you know something is wrong. And I gave him the address of where we were going to be at. And I've always been in practice of doing that. And, and you should always be in practice of doing that. Especially if you're young and you're single and you, you're going to a place that you're not familiar with. Leave a note or text somebody letting them know where you're going and how long you're going to be there. And try to give them as many details as you can because... If for some reason something happens to you, that person that got that text message, if they don't hear from you, hopefully you hope they're going to send the posse out looking for you. Uh, I cannot stress that enough. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that I did do that. Something told me to do that. Um, so we arrive at the destination, which this manor house, I'm telling you, is like something out of a movie, and, and I will give you a hint. I'm not going to tell you the name of the manor to protect the owners. Well, not necessarily protect the owners of the manor. Um, just to check the anonymity of the place as a whole, because it's been featured in films. I, I can tell you that, that this place that I went to has been in some major period films. So, um, as most of the places in and around England have been. Uh, but this is a very popular estate slash manor. Very beautiful. Uh, it was all lit up. Just absolutely beautiful. The drive up to the manor was like something out of a fairy tale. And again, I'm like, God, I, I, I can't believe that I'm leaving, or that I'm leading this, this life. And I'm thinking, you know, wow, I'm, I'm so very fortunate to be able to be able to do this, to be able to have the mind that I do, and I'm just so very fortunate. So we pull up, and we get out, and the first thing that I noticed, which it was a major red flag to me, um, and I should have just turned around right then and there and gotten back in the car. That's what I should have done. But again, young girl you know, excited to be at a party again with some of the elite. And my friend's like, oh, you know, this is a very nice place. And I said, this doesn't strike you odd. There's so many cars here, but we don't, I don't hear people talking. I don't hear music. You know, I thought, well, this is very strange. And I thought, well, maybe, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Maybe it's because the walls are thick. You know, it's an old manor. So I thought, okay, so we get up to the steps. There's a guy that comes out and opens up the door. And we walk in, and he says, there are maps on the table, madam. Uh, I encourage you to take one. Uh, you will follow the map to where the um, party is being held. So we walk into this manor house, and I'm like, oh, okay, whoo, look at all the antiques and Ooh, I'm mesmerized. I thought, well, okay, maybe it's out in the courtyard. Maybe we have to walk through the house to um, get out to the courtyard or, or wherever this party is at. Uh, you know, another red flag. <laughs> uh, nobody was in the main manor house, but this house was gorgeous. 
So, uh, you know, my friend said, well, let's, you know, follow the map. I'm sure my father's here. Let's follow the map and let's, uh, let's find out what's going on, you know. And I have to tell you something about British society. They, um, they tend to do really odd parties and, and odd party themes. And so most of the time, some of the parties that I went to, they were always masquerade parties. And uh, I always wondered, you know, why, why are you always doing masquerade parties? Why don't you do something different? Well, you're about to find out why, and I was about to find out why, they do masquerade parties. So still, you know, no really big red siren going off. I was a little apprehensive because I'm thinking, okay, we're we're going deep into this manor. And, and you have to know me because what I do is, uh, and, and this has started the reason why I do this now. Um, in my head, I keep a... a an action plan of how to get out of a situation uh, where potential exits would be. So this is what I was doing. I was just kind of looking around, but I was also looking at the map. And I was taking note that, okay, oh, well, I see that door. Looks like it goes out to a courtyard. So I was making mental notes as I went along. And I held, I kept hold of the map. And um, so we were walking along, and we were going down these steps, and we were going through these corridors and then all of a sudden these doors open up and there we are there's this huge uh, huge I wouldn't call it a ballroom because it was almost like a like an underground um, cave but it was all decorated and there were the people the music was playing and you know, I thought, oh, okay, we finally found it. So I started to be a little bit more at ease with what was going on. And, of course, my friend was like, well, you know, we need to look for my dad. Because uh, he needs to know that we're here, right? Um, so we ended up finding her dad. And, you know, he introduced us to several people. Um, I, what I started kind of noticing was, though, is... There was a lot more guys there than there were girls. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd. Looks like, you know, these these guys normally bring their wives with them. And a lot of these wives are ladies and duchesses and countesses. And I thought, well, gosh, you know, that's kind of odd. And the girls that were there, I started kind of like looking at them going, hmm, you know, a little... Uh, you know, questionable. I don't mean to, you know, judge anybody, but I was thinking, hmm, they look a, a little out of place for a party of this caliber. Um, but my friend and I, we were mingling and we were talking and everybody had mask on. And we were given a mask when we came in through the door. Just a generic kind of, yeah, every kind of, everyday kind of mask. Um, and, uh, you know, we were beginning to have a good time. There was food. I mean, anything that you could possibly want was at this party. And then I started looking up. There was a platform uh, towards the, I guess, what you would call the front of this place. And uh, there was like a, it looked like a scene from a movie. It, there was a slab up there. 
um, eh, you know, table, slab. Again, being a young age, it wasn't really occurring to me of what it actually was at this point. But there was a few things up there, and I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe there's going to be a band, maybe there's going to be a speaker. Uh, because at the time that I was in England, there was a a lot going on in Parliament. Um, economics was pretty bad. There was a lot going on in England at that time. Um, and so I thought, okay, most of these guys are barristers, uh, lords, um, you know, the echelon of British society. And there were Americans there as well, which I was very shocked. I was like, oh, you know. Um, and some of the American politicians I kind of sort of recognized, but I wasn't sure, you know. So, uh, you know, because everybody had masks on. So, you know, at one point of the night, this bell rang and everybody kind of quieted down. And me and my friend, we were in the back part near the food. Um, you can always find me near the champagne and the food at a party, just FYI. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, we were hanging back. And, uh, of course, there's a lot of tall men, so I couldn't really see. So we had to kind of look between shoulders, you know. So this, this guy comes out, and um, he's in a mask, and he's saying, you know, now is the time that we should give thanks for the power that we have, and we should bow to the God that has afforded us this power. And I'm thinking, oh, oh. And I'm thinking, okay, that pricked my ears up because I was like, what? okay, huh, what's going on here? Of course, my friend, she was just like, you know, not really worried about it. And he's, the guy continued, you know, to say this speech. Um, and his wording was beginning to disturb me um, because he said, you know, on this night, we give sacrifice to the Lord that has given us power, and you know this is necessary. And I'm just kind of paraphrasing because I'm not really going into the full length of the speech. But uh, in a nutshell, all of a sudden, I started getting this tingling sensation over my body, and I thought, okay, this something is wrong here and you know all of a sudden when you're in a crowd and you're kind of the odd man out um and you get that feeling like you're kind of like a uh, a lamb for the slaughter <laughs> um i started getting that feeling that uneasy feeling that tugging in the middle of my stomach that i needed to get out of there and i needed to get out of there quick and so I stood there, and what I'm about to tell you is something that happened. I witnessed it. I wish I could have unwitnessed it. It was like something out of a movie. I was very stunned that this happened. And what I'm about to tell you 
and the reason why I'm doing this podcast is you can be a very intelligent person. You can be a person of the world or a woman of the world and you can still get reeled into situations, dangerous situations. Uh, you know, oftentimes I've heard people say, you know, I, I, why was I there? You know, why, why did this happen to me? And I'm not telling you this story because I want to make something very, very clear here. I'm not saying that I'm a victim. I'm not part of that Me Too movement. Um, I'm saying that I have these gifts for a reason. And I was made to witness this for a reason. And I wouldn't understand that reason until later on in life. But I'm telling you this because if you're ever in a situation, and I hope to God you are never in a situation that I was in, but if you are, I'm going to give you some tools on how to get out, how to survive it, how to get out of it, and how to move on. Uh, so I want you to steal yourself here for just a few moments because what I'm going to tell you happened and in the next podcast I'm going to have a friend of mine come on uh, she was in England I think probably around the same time that I was she's had some really odd experiences almost some of the same experiences that I did so I want you to hear my story but I want you to hear hers too because there's a warning in this message and because of what's going on now in the world with the sex trade and the sex slaves and the white slavery or whatever you want to call it, young women are disappearing on a daily basis. I want, I want this to sink into you and I want you to understand because it's, it's not in the public eye very much. Ashton Kusher, the actor, he has made big strides in trying to combat the sex slave trade, the prostitution trade slave, it, it's very bad, folks. And let me tell you, it may not be in the news all the time, but when women disappear, I take notice. And it's because of this event and other events that I have been privy to over the years. It's, it's because of this event that... You know, when someone disappears, especially a woman, most of the times it's like, oh, well, you know, uh, maybe she ran off, you know, whatever. And they're never heard from again. So, I hope what I'm about to tell you may give you some insight into this nefarious uh, industry. Because it is an industry. It is a business. And I want that to sink in. Guys... I'm speaking to you as well. If you love a woman, if you have a girlfriend, a wife, a sister, a daughter, I want you to listen to this as well because we need to be telling our daughters, our friends, about these nefarious organizations. I mean, you see them in shows all the time on cable. 
Um, and you hear the conspiracy theories. And for most of you, you probably think, eh, this is not real. This is just smoke and mirrors. Folks, I'm here to tell you that what I'm about to tell you is real. I have never been so shocked in my entire life. And there was nothing that I could have done about it because, here again, I was just a little old lamb in a den full of wolves. So I want you to steal yourself. So we were watching this person talk about, and I started figuring out, he wasn't talking about God. He was talking about something entirely, totally different. Um, so he was continuing talking, and he said, Now we must sacrifice for our greater good and for us to have the power and privilege that we do. This is a time-honored tradition. This is what he said. So all of a sudden, there's this girl that's walking up the steps. Now let me tell you something. This girl appeared to be doing this willingly. There was no struggle. She wasn't yelling. She wasn't screaming. She wasn't in chains. I want to make that perfectly clear. Now, if she was on a drug, I have no way of knowing that, okay? But this woman comes up, and he helps her up the steps, and he takes, she has this robe on, and she, he takes the robe off, and she's completely naked. And he puts her on top of the slab, and I'm thinking, oh, in my mind, I'm like, oh, crap. What is what is happening here? Oh, crap. And I look at my friend, and I'm like, we've got to get out of here. We have got to get out of here, and we got to go now. And she said, but, you know, where's my dad? Where's my dad? And I said, at this point, I don't care. We need to, like, get out of here. And I'm whispering this, you know. <coughs> mm, excuse me again for coughing. Um... And she's like, but i got to find my dad. I said, no, we've got to go. And so we stood there a few minutes longer, and I looked up, which is now an altar, and I kid you not, this girl's dad came up and was standing up there with the other guy, and he started saying some stuff in Latin, and I'm not going to repeat I understand Latin, I know Latin, and I'm not going to repeat what he said. Um, I'll let your imagination run wild with that. Uh, but what he was saying was not good at all. And I kept on urging her, and she was standing there, and she was like shocked that it was her dad up there. Her dad was handed this dagger. And... Um, so the men started getting in this fervor. They started doing this chant. And I'm thinking, what the hell have I just walked into a Hammer horror film? And if you're familiar with Hammer horror films, they're kind of cheesy and campy films. They're really cool films. But I'm thinking, have I just walked into an episode of freaking Hammer film? And I'm like, this cannot be real. And they're getting in this fervor. And they're chanting, and then they start to sway back and forth. And I'm thinking, oh my God, we are so dead. You know, of course, 
keep in mind we're behind all these guys thank god and this is why i stand back where the food is and the alcohol because one i can exit and nobody will notice me uh so there's a method to my madness now but we're back there and nobody's back there with us we're we're the only two women that i see are back there and nobody's paying attention to us so at the next moment i happen to look up and i'm i'm grabbing a hold of my friend and i'm like we got to go and i'm going with or without you you can stay here at your peril but i'm going i'm leaving this place you got it and she's like okay okay she's like but what's my dad getting ready to do i said girl you don't want to know what your dad is getting ready to do we got to go and in the next instant i happen to look up and i see him and i'm i'm not lying here people i see him take the dagger and drive it into the girl now keep in mind that the girl was not struggling she seemed to be a willing participant in this seemed she could have been drugged i don't know there was no cry there was no scream and as soon as he did that the men started taking off their clothes and i thought i'm going i am out of here so i had that map keep in mind i kept that map in my purse that i had and i'm grabbing that thing out and i'm going i'm i'm getting out of here by any means necessary you can do whatever you want to do so we start we get out of the main hall and um i started realizing uh there were men or guards i guess at certain points of the hallways and i turned and looked at her and i said don't run just walk act like you're looking for the bathroom and i said if we're asked where we're going to say oh we're looking for the bathroom or the wash closet the wc that's what it's called over there i said but just act calm just remain calm and she's like my dad just killed somebody and i was like shut up <laughs> we're going to get out of here i'm going to get out of here by any means necessary i'm going to get out of here and you're coming with me and so we're walking and uh you know we're seeing some security guards you know and we did get stopped and one of the guys was like well, you know where are you going the party's back that way i said we're looking for a bathroom dude you know we need to go to the bathroom you know we're ladies we have to go to the bathroom oh well here you go it's back up this way back the way you came originally and i was like thank you cuz all the time i'm praying i'm praying in my head please get me out of here and get me out of here safe just get me out of here and he pointed in the direction that i was wanting to go anyway which was out and so we get up there and there's nobody up at at the place where we originally had gotten the maps and i was like we're going and um so we get outside and uh there's no limo there's some cars but there's no limo and i'm thinking oh crap we are screwed we don't have a car you know and i said i'm walking i'm walking out of this estate and i'm going to the main road and i'm going to find a town and i'm going to call my friends 
and she's like, but it's a long walk, and the manor house was really set back. The best way I can describe it was really, if you've ever been to Biltmore, and you know that long drive that you take to get to the actual Biltmore Manor, that's kind of like the drive that I'm talking about going to this manor house. And I said, I'm, I'm hoofing it, I'm staying in the shadows, and um, you can stay here if you want. Uh, it's your funeral. I, I don't care what you do. Um, so she she followed me, and she's like, I, I just can't believe what I saw. And um, I said, we, we have got, we'll talk about this later. We have got to get out of here. Um, so long story short, <laughs> we made it back to the main road. And um, I had remembered the way that we came. So I started walking in that direction, and I knew that there was a, a town. Um, in my mind, that wasn't very far from, from the manor house. So we get to this town, and I call my friends, and I tell them, you know, you guys need to come pick us up. This is where we're at. Come quickly. Uh, there's been some events that have happened, and I don't want to be here any longer than I have to. So, kudos to my friends that came all the way from London to to rescue me and the girl that I was with. Uh, now, here's where it gets scary. Um, you know, my, my friend that I was with, she was like, well, you know, what do we do? I said, you know, I don't know what to do because... Most of those people that were at that party are high officials, uh, and they can make us disappear. And uh, I said, I don't know what to do. I'll, I'll think about this when we get back to London. So here's the thing. As we were waiting for my friends to come, this little town, it had a pub, but the pub was getting ready to shut down, so we really just had to kind of stand outside. And here we are, two girls, in in um, evening gowns we stick out like a sore thumb and I'm trying to stay in in the shadows I'm trying to stay kind of in the dark uh, so if cars pass by and we're not going to be able to be seen readily um, and here's the creepy thing it was almost like these people knew that we had left and because there were two black sedans with black tinted windows that drove by this little thing that we were at, and they would slow down, and I thought, oh my God, they know that we left. They're looking for us. And I'm in the middle of nowhere. I don't have a weapon. I don't have anything. And, and, and let me interject here. From an early age, my grandfather taught me how to take care of myself. Um, I will say this. I've been blessed. I had a strong male influence in my life, strong female influence in my life. My family is a very strong family, faith-wise, um, mindset-wise. So, you know, I had a gun in my hand when I was five years old. My grandfather started teaching me how to be self-reliant, how to hunt, how to uh, defend myself. 
And uh, because my grandmother and grandfather came from uh, Hungary and Romania. And so they had to be hardy. They worked the land. They were uh, honest people. And uh, But my grandfather knew that in the, you know, in the world, there are nasty people. Um, nasty things can happen to good people. So he wanted me to be well-rounded, wanted me to be able to know how to take care of myself, how to fight. I mean, my grandfather was teaching me how to take punches when I was seven years old. You know, um, and most people would think, oh my God, that's, that's short of child abuse. No, I... I don't want everybody to misunderstand. You know, these were... He was teaching me defensive moves and how to take care of myself. Um, and maybe... I don't know. Maybe he kind of knew that my life would take a turn to where I would need to be able to defend myself at various points in my life. Um, and I thank him for giving me the knowledge that he has given me. I thank my grandmother for all the healing knowledge that she's given me all the insights uh, that she gave me about life. With that said, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I don't even have a, a weapon, so I'm looking for something uh, as a weapon in case these these guys see us, you know. And I'm telling you, these cars, and I'm not paranoid, these cars were slowing down, and, and guys were getting out, and these guys um, looked pretty rough. I'm telling you, um, they could have been SAS for all I know. I don't know. It's like some, this is like something out of a movie, folks. And I'm and I'm, my brain is telling me, you have got to get out of this area. You've got to get out. But we stayed put, and we were in a good little area where we could be in the darkness, and they didn't see us. And I kept the whole time I'm praying here, going, please, Lord, protect us. Keep us hidden. Keep us invisible until my friends get here. Please, you know. <coughs> and I was saying this prayer over and over again in my mind. And I felt so sorry for the girl because the realization that her dad, her father, killed a girl about her age. Sacrificed a girl her age. I mean... I couldn't begin to imagine what she was going through at that moment in time. She was shaking so bad that I thought that she was really just going to pass out or die of a heart attack. I was really more worried about her and trying to keep her quiet because she was terrified. And she had every reason to be terrified. Um, so my friends come. We get in the car, and I'm telling them, you know, we're going to kind of lay down in the back seat, and you're just going to drive, and don't go anywhere else. We're going back to the dorm, and we've got to get back. And, of course, they're asking us, you know, what happened? What happened? I was like, I, I, the less you know, the better. Um, you know, I, I still have to filter stuff. So we get back to the dorm, and I'm getting out of my dress, and... <laughs> um, I'm helping her out of her dress because she's just done. And she's like, I need to call my mother. And I was like, don't you dare. <laughs> I said, because if they're looking for us, that means they may be monitoring the phones. 
And I know people are like, oh, well, you know, uh-oh, she's talking about conspiracy theories. Oh, no, folks, I'm not. There was a real imminent threat, and I knew it. I saw it. So I said, you know what, I'm going to call my grandfather in America. And see, my grandfather and I had come up with a code. Um, so in case something like this had happened, I could speak to him in code. And he would understand what I was saying, but anybody that was listening in would not be able to understand. It would be just a bunch of nonsense. So keep in mind, I'm in London, and I'm calling America, and um, I forget what time it is, but it was it was very early in the morning um, in America. And so my grandfather answers the phone, and I say I start saying code. And uh, immediately he knows that something is wrong. And he said, we start doing the code back and forth. And basically uh, what we were saying was, I was telling him, I'm in trouble. I need to get out of here. Something happened. Please come to London. Like, now. And um, so I get off the phone with him. She's like, what were you telling him? You were talking about hunting and, and all this stuff. And I said, it's a code. He knows something's wrong. He's coming. I'm getting out of here. I suggest that you do the same. And she's like, uh, uh, I said, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm not coming back. I'm leaving. And so it took my grandfather, oh my God, it took my grandfather an excruciating two days to, to get over to, London, and that whole time I'm staying hidden, I'm packing up stuff, um, I go to the dean, and I say, you know, I, I have a family emergency, I've got to go back to the United States, um, you know, so I was trying to take care of things in a nonchalant way, I was trying to be cool about it, and for those two days, um, there were, I would look out the window, and I would see two of those black cars and I'm thinking oh oh god you know what's going on here um and the whole time I'm praying <laughs> uh I just wanted to get out of England alive I just wanted to get as far away as possible as I could from these people and um when my grandfather got there, we also had a code. So he called me from a um, location where he was at. See, now my grandfather was a um, mason. And um, it's the masons that helped him get to me as quick as he did. Uh, I know a lot of people think, well, you know, uh, you know, the whole Masonic temple thing it's mysterious uh, they're a cult uh, I mean you've, you've watched shows on that I'm sure um, but they're golden in my book because they afforded my grandfather to come and rescue me and get me out of the country um, now you're probably saying well you know what maybe you're overreacting maybe nobody was looking for me maybe you were just paranoid uh, maybe, but I can't deny what I was seeing. 
and my friends over there, a friend of mine came, and she goes, are you in trouble? And I said, uh, I hope not. She goes, well, these men were asking me these really weird questions about you. And she said, I didn't know what to say. You know, she's like, I was just wondering if you were in trouble. She said, uh, they appear to be Scotland Yard. And I said, did they show you a badge? And she's like, well, no. And I said, um, exactly what questions were they asking you? And she's like, well, you know, uh, how long you've been in the country? Um, did you go to a, a dance or a party the other night and all this stuff? And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God. Um, but I got a phone call from my grandfather, and we're using code. Okay, so keep in mind. Um, and I told him, I said, you need to be careful because somebody's watching the dorm. I mean, this is real. Somebody is watching the dorm. And he's like, oh, okay, well, I'm, you know, in code, he was telling me, I have some friends here. I'm with friends and we're going to get you out. You need to be ready. And this is a place that you need to be at at a certain time. Do not deviate. And we will pick you up. So, and I know this sounds like this is out of the movie, folks. But this is this is the God honest truth. Uh, I truly honestly believe because of what I witnessed. And because of leaving. I truly believe that they saw me as a threat. Uh, you know, is she going to tell uh, what's going to happen? So on and so forth. And keep in mind that the people that were at this party, Americans and British hierarchy, were at this party. Um, now, I don't know. We left when it started getting uh, really, really weirder than it had already gotten. And so God knows what transpired after we left. Um, I don't want to know. Um, I'm happy with not knowing that. Um, but my grandfather got me out of England. And um, some cloak and dagger stuff had to occur. I'm not really going to go into that because that's going to take away from what I'm really wanting to tell you. And again, the girls, the women that are listening to this... And the guys that are listening, uh, you know, people disappear all the time. Women disappear all the time. Where do they go? You know, did, does do they meet a, an end like that poor girl up there on that slab met that night? Are they being sacrificed? Is there a, a seedy underworld? Is there more going on here than what we really want to know? Um... You know, later, as I got home, my grandfather and I were talking, and he's like, it sounds like you had a run-in with the Hellfire Club. Now, okay, I know you probably listen to Alex Jones, and he talks about the Illuminati and all these nefarious groups. Folks, they do exist. And the Illuminati, whatever you want to call it, the Hellfire Club, these are organizations that have been in practice for a very long time so they're it's a well-oiled engine um 
there are tentacles everywhere in the world. Um, <clears throat> I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist because uh, it's so easy to fall into that. But I want to talk about how you can educate your your daughters, uh, the women in your life, to be vigilant, to be aware of what is around them, uh, to be to know how to defend themselves, to know how to get it out of a situation and survive it, and to be aware that these these people have nefarious ideas about how the world should be. And, you know, from time to time throughout my life, I've always gotten the feeling that sometimes, you know, maybe I'm still on that radar. Um, so I'm always vigilant, but I cannot stress enough. And I hope this saves somebody's life. If you are in a situation like I was in where you're in the middle of nowhere and you, you don't know anybody and you're, you're quite a ways from where you originally started we need to teach women and we need to teach daughters and the young girls of America how to get out of situations like this. I'm, I'm so thankful that my grandfather taught me to keep a sense of mind in a, in a very stressful situation. That really saved me. So dads, uh, you know, male role models, teach your girls how to fight. Teach them how to fight in different ways. Teach them how to keep a, a sense of mind and to be aware of what is around their situations. And I'm telling you folks, I, I mean, I think I'm a very reasonable person and I still got into a situation like this. You know, most people say, well, oh, you should have, uh, you should have known this was going to happen. Uh, well, no, I didn't. There was no indication. I mean, I had been at parties with these people at various charity functions. Now keep in mind, these are the same people that donate money to uh, fund art, to fund, you know, uh, opera, to um, fund gardens. These people, they have this facade that says, oh, well, I'm a good person, but underneath they are not. Um, so I want to make that very clear. It, and I've known people since then that have gotten into situations, very intelligent people, and they've gotten into situations almost like what I've gotten into. And um, the next podcast, I will talk to my friend, uh, and she will give you her account of what she dealt with when she was in England with some of the same groups. Very intelligent woman, okay? Very intelligent woman of the world, and she got reeled in to this, these organizations. Uh, they use the guise of innocence. They use the guise of, oh, well, we're doing good for the world. They wear a mask, and it was fitting that they were wearing masks that night, and that they were masks during most of the parties that I went to when I was over there. And now I understood why they were wearing the mask. They were wearing the mask, one, to protect their identity. 
And two, it was really showing what they really were. Uh, you know, with all these young ladies getting lured into the sex trade or the white slavery trade or whatever you want to call it, oftentimes these ladies are lured in by these wonderful people that, oh, well, you know, I've got a job for you over in Europe. Um, it pays really well. And see, they lure them in with money. Now, some of them are kidnapped, but most of them are lured in with money, uh, talk of, you know, mansions and fast cars. And then these women get into these situations that they can't get out of. And oftentimes, they just leave. They don't tell people where they're going. They think they're going to make a fortune. They think they're going to be working for somebody important. Then they get over to Europe or some country, and then they're trapped. And they have nowhere to go. And they don't have anybody like my grandfather that comes and saves them. And I think about that poor girl. And I say poor girl, I mean, again, she was not struggling at all. But I say that poor girl because that was somebody's daughter. Who was she? I mean, I will never know who she was. Ever. But that memory of her sticks in my head. And it it will always be there and it will never go away. That was somebody's daughter. That was maybe somebody's girlfriend. I don't know, maybe somebody's wife for all I know. The girl was very young. So to see somebody done like that, you know, that's not normal. <laughs> and you know that. Um, but I'm here to tell the story, and I don't tell the story very often. Um, and you can understand why, because of the connotations that it has. And I'm not using any names. I'm not giving you any, like, really definite things because I want to protect <laughs> I want to protect me but I also want to protect you know that girl that watched her dad kill somebody in cold blood it wasn't fake it wasn't it was real and I I think about that girl quite <clears throat> excuse me I think about that girl quite often I do I pray for her I don't know who she was. Um, I don't know where she came from. So it's very odd to think about it. Um, but the whole purpose of this podcast is to emphasize to the adults here that your children need to be protected. And you need to give them the tools so they can be protected, so they can defend themselves. I'm not blowing hot air here. This is a warning because you've noticed that these these groups are coming back. They're, they went kind of cold in the 90s. And, and the reason why is, is because they were planning, and they've been planning all along, something very, very nefarious. Now, we can get into the whole discussion of kind of like Alex Jones, you know, talks about. I'm not going to mention any names, but I think you know who I'm talking about here. 
because of the recent election and all the things that have gone on behind the scenes to try to uh, undermine the new president that we have. Uh, so I don't need to mention any names. I can let you draw your own conclusions, and that's what I'm going to do. Um, but folks, there's always the wolf out there, always lurking, always trying to find some way to take an innocent and to manipulate them into doing things that are quite dangerous or to sacrificing themselves for their cause. You need to teach your children, especially your young women, how to defend themselves, how to get out of a situation like I was in. I'm so very thankful that I got out of this situation. It could have ended totally different. You wouldn't, I, I could have been captured, I could have been caught, and you would have never ever known who I was or heard this story. Um, so I can't emphasize enough, you know, have your children take self-defense classes. Uh, have them be aware of their surroundings, you know, what to do in case they're cornered what to do in case they find themselves out in the middle of nowhere at a party that they don't know anybody and the party turns sour. How do they get out of there? How Teach them real-world situations and how to get out of them. It will save their life. Now, I hope that nobody's ever in the position that I was in. Um, and, I, and I sincerely hope that none of your children or the people that you love are ever in a situation where they have to witness what I witnessed. Um, there are other things throughout my life that I've been witness to. Um, really not going to go into those here today, but I wanted to emphasize this story. Um, you can love your kids. You can... Give them all the tools that you can, but if you don't teach them how to be aware and how to be worldly, if you shelter your kids and you don't let them see the negative side of society, and if they get into a situation, they're not going to know what to do, and they're going to be a statistic. They're going to end up dead or missing, and I'm being harsh with my words here, and I am. Um... Because these groups are coming back. And you need to be aware. Uh, and the groups are changing their tactics. Uh, they're, they're using the guise of let's make a better world. Or um, let's fight the government. Or let's uh, cause anarchy. You know, anarchy is the way to go. These kids are getting lured into these groups. And... It could be your son, it could be your daughter, it could be your granddaughter, grandson. You need to be aware. I mean, we're talking about shades of uh, George Orwell's 1984 here, or V for Vendetta. Um, and I know you're probably thinking, well, you know, I live in a rural community, it's never going to happen. I came from a rural community, so that's why I'm telling you this. And it still happened to me. And I'm a bright, intelligent 
woman. And the girl that I was with was bright and intelligent. Yet she had no idea that her father was into an organization that's in the business of destroying lives. So I want this to sink in. You can be intelligent. You can be a person of the world. And you can still get reeled into these these groups, these people. And they're out there. And I kind of call them like the... They're kind of like Candyman, you know? They are. They're kind of like Candyman. And they give you this ruse of, oh, the world is going to be perfect and we're going to change it and it's going to be so much better if we control the world. And folks, you know, they, they want to attack our faith, and that's what they're doing right now. They're attacking faith. They are attacking anybody that has any positivity, and they're trying to stamp it out. Now, I'm not going to get into a religious discussion about this either, because that's that could be several shows in and of itself. But the main emphasis in the why I told you this story is is to save a girl's life. Beware of who she's friends with. Be aware of who she's talking to online. I have a, a friend, uh, his daughter is preteen. And, um, you know, when you're a girl and you're online, and see, my generation, we didn't have uh, chat rooms or online sites. You know, we didn't have this stuff until I was like almost out of high school. Um, but you have these young girls now that have uh, FaceTime and uh, all these other apps that you can get on that you can talk to people all around the world with. So it's a new ball game here. Um, the audience is wider. The, these nefarious people have these tentacles through the Internet, and they can use the guise of uh, friendship with these young girls and they get lured in and they start talking to someone that they think is of their same age. And in reality, they're not. And I'm sure you've seen 2020 episodes and Chris Hansen episodes of where they catch these sexual predators. Um, and what these predators will do and say to get these young women lured in. And now that's a lot of about the sex trade. They lure these women in, they have them meet up with, you know, a guy, and then when they meet up with a the guy, they get kidnapped. This is a statistic that's growing. It's, it's very frightening to know that maybe your daughter or somebody else's daughter is doing these chats, and they don't know who they're talking to. It could say that they're a 12-year-old boy. In reality, it's probably a 35 to 40 year old man trying to lure this kid out to meet them somewhere to do God knows what. So, parents, you need to be vigilant of what your kids are doing on their iPhone or their phone or the internet. You need to be made aware. Um, and you would think with all of these shows that, these crime shows that are out there, that people would be more aware. But, 
you know, it's hard. I know it's hard. When you're a parent, it's hard to keep up with everything that your child is doing. Uh, but a case in point, a friend of mine has a young daughter, and she got caught talking to what I guess she thought was guys of her own age. And in reality, they are not. Um, they were, one guy was asking to meet up with her. And um, that's the scary thing, you know. Uh, the scary thing is with these apps, most of these predators already know the area that your child lives in. For all you know, they could be driving up and down the street trying to hone in on the signal to figure out where your child lives. This is a scary thing to think about. So, you know, as a parent, be aware of what your child is doing on social media. And I know you've heard this drilled into you many, many, many times over. But I want to drive it home with my story is, you know, what if that child meets up with one of these guys? What if that child meets that same fate as that girl up on that slab? I feel like the universe wanted me to tell you this story because maybe somebody that I know or somebody that will listen to this will understand that these organizations are real. And these people, sure, they do good works in their community, but they are darkness incorporated. And that's what I call them. I don't call them the Hellfire Club. I don't call them the Illuminati. I call them Darkness Incorporated because that's what it is. These are soulless individuals. And they're out to destroy the very fabric of our society. And so we need to be vigilant. So teach your kids self-defense. Teach them how to, to think in a crisis situation. Uh, that's the key. If you can't teach them self-defense, teach them how to not shut down in a crisis situation. Teach them and give them these skills. So if they are in a situation where, say, like um, a suicide bomber uh, comes or they're held hostage by a terrorist group, teach them how to manage their stress and how to get out of a situation alive. Now, there's a lot of places that you can spend tons of money on that will supposedly teach you how to avoid a terrorist attack. You know, I say use your own discretion. You know, a lot of these uh, classes say that they're taught by former Green Berets. You do your research. I'm not going to promote anybody or any type of organization that does that. But do your research. You're smart. Um, but teach your children. If you, if you teach them anything at all, teach them how to handle a crisis situation. It's not taught in schools. Um, it's not taught, and it should be. It should be. Uh, teach them how to remain calm in the face of possibly imminent death. 
with all these terrorist attacks going on around the world, with these crazy people going to like schools and banks and colleges and shooting people, teach your child how to handle this situation. And hopefully their minds won't shut down and they will know what to do and they will get out alive. This is the whole purpose of this podcast is, is telling you to teach your children or your wives or your sisters or your granddaughters. Teach them and teach the, your boys too how to get out of a situation, how to be aware of where they're at, how to take note of how to get out of a situation. And, and this, this situation is why uh, when I got back to the United States, it's why I started, um, uh, you know, being aware of my situations. I always noted exits, and I always drove myself to parties. Uh, you know, when you're with friends, they go, oh, I'll drive. Um, I always would say, no, I'll drive. I'll meet you guys there. And I would always park my car in such a way that I could get out. You know, at parties, you know, people park behind each other. I always made an effort to park to where I could get out if a situation ever happened. I could leave the party. I noted all the exits. And I, I know a lot of you are saying, well, you know, that's a little paranoia. Well, you know what? Paranoia has saved my life more times than I can count. And like I said, I, I could do podcasts about situations that I've been in from here until the day that I die. But I'm telling you, we have these intuitions for a reason. We have that gut feeling for a reason. And don't negate it. Tell your child, tell the person that you care about not to negate that feeling. Because that feeling is telling you, you need to go. And they need to listen to it. I've left parties and, and people have laughed at me. Uh, and I've left parties saying, you know what, um, something's getting ready to go down. I'm out of here. And I would leave, and I, I kid you not, sometimes, ten minutes later after I've left, something has occurred. An altercation, or the police would come to the party. You know, and I was like, ooh, I'm glad that I left when I did. So teach your children that if they do go to parties, to always be in control. Uh, and if they are of driving age, tell them, you know, teach them how to park to where they can get out. Um... Oftentimes when I went to parties, if it was a huge party, I would actually park on the street and not park at the actual house. Because um, I knew then if I parked on the street and if I could get out of the house, then I was home free because I wouldn't have any problem getting in my car. I wouldn't have any problem leaving the situation. Um, so just basic Things that you as a parent or as a brother or as a sister or just as a person in general can educate young people about how to get out of situations. It will save their life. It will give them a sense of, uh, you know, being stronger. It will, it will make them more aware of their surroundings. Um, I cannot say that enough. So I'm going to end this podcast with a thought for the future. 
The next podcast is going to be the account of a, of a very good friend of mine and her account of living in England and uh, what she went through with some of these groups. Uh, I think it's one thing to hear from me, but it's another thing to hear from another person that witnessed the same thing uh, that I did. Uh, and her story is a little more, is a lot more scarier. I'm kind of thankful that I got out when I did. But her story will surprise you, it may shock you, um, or it may not. But it's an account that needs to be heard and it needs to be addressed. Now, um, you know, when I was living in England, um, the good side of England is, is there's a lot of history. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not trying to be a bad person and, and not promote, you know, England. go to England, go to London, go to these places, uh, you know, travel. I encourage everybody to travel, but be aware of what happens when you're traveling. Be aware. Don't get into these situations that you can't get out of. I highly recommend going to London. I love that city. I do. Um, although not right now because of what's going on. But the history of it is 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 just wonderful. And if you could go and see these places, I highly recommend it. I mean, go and see Stonehenge. Go see the, the Stones of the Seven Sisters. Um, go see Westminster Abbey. Go do all of these things. Go to Scotland. Um, go to Ireland. These places are really beautiful to see and beautiful to um, learn the history about. So I'm, I'm by no means I'm trying to discourage young people to travel. You need to travel because you see more of the world that way. You understand the world. I'm very thankful that my mother and father allowed me to be able to... And even after this bad experience, I still traveled in Europe. I did. I, I did not let this dismay me from learning about different cultures and living over there. Uh, but it did make me more aware that not everybody has your best interest at heart. And that was a very valuable lesson that I learned early on. Uh, you know... You probably seen shows, ghost hunting shows about, um, and, and Ghost Adventures even did a couple of shows over in England about the Hellfire Club. Uh, I believe it was called the Hellfire Caves. And if you're not familiar with Ghost Adventures, uh, you can pull them up. Um, I believe that they're on Amazon Prime. I think they're on Netflix. Um, you can pretty much pull them up anywhere and watch old e episodes. Um, I love those guys. I do because uh, they really bring history to light. And the whole episode about the uh, the Hellfire Clubs you need to watch because, again, it will emphasize that these groups are still around today, um, and they had to be very careful <laughs> um, of how they filmed that episode. They had two episodes in England. They had to be very careful of what they said. Now, you're not going to hear that on the show. But um, in talking to Aaron um, and Billy, 
they they had to be very careful with what they said. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. You can interject whatever you want to interject upon that. So um, a lot of England, because of its age, it's haunted. It's um, I had encounters, even at the dorm that I was living in, uh, where we had a ghost, uh, a, a ghost of a girl. She would walk up and down our hall. And she would whistle. <laughs> so at 2 or 3 in the morning, you could hear somebody whistling. And you could actually hear her walking down the hall because it was a wooden floor. And I would get up and I would look out the door. And there would be nothing there. But I knew that something was there. Just because of my abilities that I have. Uh, but one time, I was at... Um, the and I have to tell you about this experience, and then I'm going to let you guys go. Uh, and Joy and I uh, will talk more about this uh, in our next podcast. Uh, but I went to the Tower of London because that's something that you do. That's a touristy thing that everybody does. Go to the Tower of London. You know, uh, get to you get to see where you know people were executed. And I know that's a little macabre, but um, you know, I was an architectural student, so. I really was going to look at the architecture of how every how it was built. I mean, the Tower of London and Westminster Abbey and all, all these places in Europe, it's amazing how they were built, how these stones were cut. So I was really there, not for a paranormal experience, but just to see the sheer size of this place and to kind of get a feel for all these poor souls that were imprisoned in this place um and so i'm just walking around it's broad daylight okay so it's not at night and i'm walking out in the courtyard and i'm walking there's this uh gate that you go through and it goes through to another part of the tower and so i'm just walking through the gate and as I'm walking, and, and keep in mind, there's a lot of people that are in period costumes that, um, you know, walk around. They'll ask they'll, if you have a history question or a question about an event. They're there, and they'll assist you, um, and they'll tell you a story, or they'll even be in character, you know. So here I am walking, and um, there's this beautiful woman coming towards me and she's in a period costume uh, about the, around the time of Henry VIII by the way and um, I start kind of noticing that uh, there's something a little bit different about this woman as she starts getting closer to me and I realize wait a minute <laughs> this is not a real person this is a ghost and she looked at me and I looked at her and I suddenly realized who it was because I had just saw her picture in one of the grand halls. Uh, it was Anne Boleyn. And I looked at her, and she looked at me, and she had this such this sad look about her that I, I could feel the sadness within her. And she was lost. And I, I looked at her, and she looked at me, and she nodded, acknowledged me. In plain sight, um, and I just kept walking because at one point I was like, 
am I really seeing what I'm seeing? And so I turned around and she was gone. But I saw a full-bodied apparition that looked, from a distance, looked like a, a real person. And as I got closer, I realized, no, that's that's a spirit. Um, so I had many experiences in England. I had a really weird experience at Stonehenge. Um, and maybe my friend and I can go in that a little bit in the next podcast. Um, we'll, we'll just talk it up and we'll call it, uh, weird groups and weird supernatural. Uh, I'll come up with something good, but I just want to leave you with, you know, I want to try to kind of alleviate some of the seriousness. We're, we're, we're moving away from that. But, um, you know, I don't want this to dismay you from traveling or getting out and living your life. Live your life, but be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of what's going on around you. I cannot stress that enough, especially in today's age where, uh, you know, Sometimes you could be on a subway and a bomb kick off. I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm just saying learn how to get out of situations. Learn how to keep your cool and and learn how to save your life. Because I'm telling you folks, in some of these countries, uh, you know, if an event happens, the police may not get to you in, in, a, in a good amount of time. You're going to have to save yourself. And know how to get out, know your surroundings, know where you can go. Uh, a lot of people that get into situations, the various situations, they really end up becoming a victim because they just weren't familiar with their surroundings. So uh, be educated, be aware, travel. I'm not telling you not to, but educate your kids on the dangers of this world and be very graphic with them if you I mean don't sugarcoat this be very graphic with them and tell them you know this is what happens you can be a good person you can be an intelligent person but this is what happens to to good people and you need to drive it home I cannot emphasize enough you need to drive it home and like I said be graphic if you have to Sit them down and tell them, you know, this world is not a nice place. There's good people in the world, but the world is not a nice place. Instead of sugarcoating it, tell them the truth. It will save a life. And I hope people that are listening to this podcast, I hope it gives you some encouragement to get out there, maybe to take a self-defense class, or maybe take some of these classes that teach you how to avoid these situations. Do the research, weigh it out, and then if you feel like you want to take these courses, take these courses. They're out there for a reason. Um, there's even some courses that teach you how to actually evade someone trying to get you in a car. Uh, you'll actually learn how to defensively drive a car to get out of a, a situation. So these are valuable skills to learn. I've been lucky to have learned them. I just want to pass the knowledge on to you, and um, I hope that you have a safe and happy Mardi Gras. 
um, I was having some technical difficulties, so I was trying to record this, and it wouldn't let me record it. So it's kind of befitting that I am doing this podcast on Mardi Gras. Uh, if you're not familiar with what Mardi Gras or Carnival really is, it's it's a farewell to the flesh, and that means you shed things that are no longer serving you, um, and you prepare for what the next day is, is Ash Wednesday. So... Everybody pretty much knows what Ash Wednesday represents. Mardi Gras represents the shedding of the skin before you go into Ash Wednesday and before you make a commitment to um, giving up something for Ash Wednesday and Lent. So uh, I had a friend once that gave up cream brulee <laughs> for Lent. I know that sounds funny. But give up something for Lent that, you know, make a sacrifice. We can make a sacrifice in a different way. <laughs> um, but Mardi Gras is about release. And Lent is about letting something go. Not coveting something. Giving up something for your faith. So, with that said... Thank you for joining this podcast. I appreciate you tuning in. Again, I would like to thank the individuals at CastBox for giving individuals like me the um, ability to do these podcasts, to get these podcasts out to you. Um, I really appreciate it. And to all those out there that have been my mentors over the years, my sages, my teachers, I love you all. I have learned a great deal. Life is about learning, so don't stop learning. Don't stop traveling. And be kind to one another. Uh, love one another. And we'll all get through this. It takes a, a village, really, to get through life. But I appreciate you tuning in. And thank you for listening to Casting Chasing Shadows. Excuse me. And I am Elizabeth, your host. And I will see you next time. Look forward to the next podcast. It's going to be a part two of what we just did today. Again, I can't emphasize enough. This will save somebody's life. Thank you and have a wonderful Mardi Gras.